John chapter 3. And we're going to be focusing on verse 29. Verse 29, it reads, He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. I'm going to read from verses 25 to 36 just to give context to this verse. And this is John the Baptist who spoke in that verse, in verse 29. John chapter 3, from verses 25 to 36. Let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom... Thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, all, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly. Greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, this my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath receiveth, Received his testimony, hath set his seal, that God is true. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth. On him, and may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and infallible word. We now come once again before the throne of grace as we call upon our God before we hear the preaching. Please stand. Almighty Father, Almighty King, O Lord our God, our King, Father, you are glorious and true. Father, you are radiant, full of splendor. And Lord, may we learn much of Thee this evening. O Lord, may we be filled with the love of Your precious, holy and infallible Word. O Lord, may we be in awe of this loving relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. May we be in awe of the bridegroom, that is Christ. May we see, O Lord, and rejoice to point toward the bridegroom, Christ. That many may be brought in and be part of the bride of Christ. Father, may our joy be fulfilled and, and satisfied and encouraged as it was for John the Baptist who spoke this. O Lord our God, our King, be with us. May your face shine upon us. Speak to our hearts. Father, that we may hear this not as the word of men, but as the word of the living God. Father, may we hear this 
Apply this to our souls. And Father, may we be changed and conformed more and more to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, who is the Christ, who is the Messiah, who is the Anointed One, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So we look. We just read that verse once again. Verse 29, which our, our sermon will be on this evening. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. And may the Lord bless his word to us. Our sermon for this evening is the bride with her bridegroom. The bride with her bridegroom. John here uses a picture. He uses a picture of a wedding. A bride with her bridegroom to make the point that he is making. Now John is being asked a question in the previous verses about his relationship with the Messiah. With the Christ who is the anointed one who was to come. Now there is confusion and we can even see this in the previous verses. Who are you, John? What is your role? You can see that there's some questions emerging in people's hearts and minds. Verse 26, and they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that is was with thee beyond the Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold the same baptizeth and all men come to him. John and 27 says, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. And he says to them, I am not the Christ. I am not that one you are to look towards. I am not the one where the main focus is meant to be on. I am to point toward another far more important than I am. John is saying here, I'm not the main thing. I am the supporting cast. I am am the friend here of the bridegroom, but not the bridegroom himself. John the Baptist is here pointing toward another, pointing toward someone who is far greater than him, someone whom he is not. And he uses this picture in verse 29 of marriage to get his point across. Now, as we know, if you've gone to enough weddings, marriages, they're wonderful, aren't they? They're wonderful events. They're joyful events. They are events that we often remember for many years after a marriage has taken place. And there's much joy. Something new has begun. Even outside of Christianity, even outside of people who have respect for the Bible and the truth, There's still something special that people would look to. Even, there's a lot of people who are trying to redefine marriage today. Even though they seem to want to get away from traditional marriage, they don't seem to want to lose that specialness. They will lose that specialness if they redefine it. But they all know there's something special and wonderful about weddings and marriage. I still remember years ago, this is before I was a Christian, I remember going to my brother's wedding, my two sisters' weddings. I had no interest. And even this was before I was a Christian. Actually, at the time, I think for 
for many years, I didn't even want to get married. But I still remember that day. I still remember it etched in my mind, details about it, the joy about it. There's something special about it. Even for the person with no real massive interest in it himself, still remembered it years later. Now, praise God, the Lord changed me later on to, to wanting to get married. But at that event, it's the bride and the bridegroom who are noticed. Can you imagine if you're at a wedding and it was somebody other than the bridegroom and the bride who were being noticed? You probably go, something's gone wrong. Something, if they are not the main focus, something has gone disastrously wrong. They're the main focus, aren't they? And anybody who's there is pointing toward that main event. The main attraction. This is the point John is making. Christ is the main attraction. Christ is the main attraction for the church. Christ is the main attraction for the preacher. He's saying, here is the Messiah. It's not me. It's not about me. It's about him. It's about pointing toward him. And that wonderful relationship we're going to look at this evening. And I pray that we will see how wonderful it is. That this picture is being used between Christ who is the bridegroom or the groom. And the church that is the bride. And that we would never in the church lose focus of how special that relationship is. And may it bring us closer to God. The first point we're going to look at. Uh, We're going to look at four points from this verse. But the first point we're going to look at is possession. Possession. Uh, Verse 29, the first part of this this verse. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. There's a sense in, in which even in the original language, there's almost, we can't say this in English, but it's a continuous having. It's not just one time. This is something that is ongoing. The one who has and possesses the the bride here is and continues to be the bridegroom. Well, who is it that has the bride? Is it John the Baptist? Because John the Baptist is getting a lot of attention, isn't he? Well, no, it's not him at all. Is it the bridegroom? In, in, in modern language, we can get mixed up with things, it's important we think of the groom, probably in modern language, but the the bride here, the church, belongs to the groom, that is Christ. Now I think it's important that we also point out, because modern culture, doesn't it, we probably wouldn't have to say this in other points in history, but modern culture really struggles with the idea of marriage, doesn't it? It really struggles with marriage roles. It even struggles with the roles of the genders and things we would take for granted in other points in history. So we've got to look at this, don't we? We have a very distorted view of marriage today, so we need to look at what John is saying so we don't misunderstand what he is saying. The bride is not to live for herself, is she? She's not to live for herself. She shares One life, not two lives, with the groom, the bridegroom. A married couple are to move forward together as one, aren't they? As one, in one union. 
a married couple belong to each other. And we can see this in various parts of the Bible. That they are one flesh. They are one. They belong to each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 3 and 4, this speaks about the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife. It says this, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. The point Paul is making is, you don't, belong to yourself anymore. You belong to your spouse. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. The husband and the wife are to give themselves to each other. They're to give themselves to each other lovingly, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Everything that we have, we share with our husband or wife. It involves all that it involves to share a life together they are one the husband and the wife are one i guess to say all this and it may seem very obvious to us but we're not two competing forces battling it out i like this and and they may my wife may like this or my husband may like this and we're we're fighting over different things that's not marriage that's not a healthy marriage a marriage shouldn't be either the husband dragging along the wife or the other way around. It should be both of them together moving forward as one. Now there are times when you can disagree over things and you can say, okay, you can have that. and Things that don't matter so much. But generally speaking, there's to go in one direction. If a marriage is one talking one way, one talking another way, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. So who is the bride? That is the church. And who has the bride? This is the bridegroom. Christ. And they share life together. You see the picture being used here. They share life together. We read earlier from Song of Solomon. In Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 16 says this. My beloved... Is mine. And I am his. He feedeth among the lilies. Song of Solomon 6.3 says this. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. They belong to each other. They share life with each other. And they're saying. Mine. When we see Christ and we trust in Him, we say, He is my Savior. And Christ says of us, when He redeems us, He says to us, Mine. Are you part of this bride? Spoken about here by John. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ? And what does that look like? It is forsaking of sin and trusting in Him and in Him alone. Are you part of this bride? What is the picture? Well, do you belong to yourself? Is it about what I want and my desires and my ambition or whatever these things may be? Do you belong to yourself? Are you your own anymore? If you're part of the bride, whom do you follow? 
Whom do you love? Whom do you cherish and cling to? 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, we don't belong to ourselves anymore. A husband and a wife are not just to think about their own needs, are they? They need to think about one another. They need to nourish and build up because they're one. If, if you have one thing that's going in different directions, it will sever and break apart. We're not a wife in this situation, a bride who belongs to her husband, is not to think about selfishly serving herself. It says in Ephesians 5.22, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That's the picture. And Jesus says to his bride, whom he loves, whom he cherishes, whom he died for. Whom he died for. Mine. And he's jealous over his bride. He loves, adores his bride. So much so he died for that bride. See, dear friends, it's not just that he puts up with us. He says to you, as part of the bride of Christ, mine, mine. This is why it's such a wonderful picture. That we belong to him as part of the bride. So number one, possession. Number two, we're going to look at partner. Partner. Now this word... Partner can often not have the same meaning today. Sometimes the word partner can be used maybe in a very a cold way. I think sometimes people use this term and you know, say, well, they're not married or something like this. But in the truest sense, the bridegroom and the bride, that the partnership with one another. Not as equals because the bride here, the, the church, is to serve the groom that is Christ. And to serve as a friend in helping and sharing in that life with each other. It says in verse 29. But the friend of the bridegroom. So verse 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him. There's a friend of the bridegroom. Now this is really being used mainly, primarily, by John the Baptist referring to ministers of the gospel, preachers of the gospel. Those who point toward Christ. John's ministry was to point to the Lamb of God. He pointed toward, behold, the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. This is what his role was. His role was not about himself. His mission was to point to someone else. It's not to bring focus on himself. It never was. But so often when people speak at church or were prophets in the Old Testament, the focus, let's be honest, it can sometimes wrongly be on the man delivering the message. So often it can be the case. And John is so wants to emphasize, I am not the Christ. I'm not the one you need to trust in. It's him. 
And yes, I will have a joyful role in that pointing toward this glorious Savior, but I'm just a supporting act in this. I'm never to bring attention to myself. He's constantly, John has got to constantly point away from himself. Supporting this beautiful relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. And he's a friend of the groom. Now, the bride belongs to the groom. This is a point that I was reading about a few, a few days ago in a, in a commentary that I was reading. But it was said, the bride belongs to the groom, not the minister. The bride belongs to the groom, that is Christ. Not the minister. That was a really important thing. And sometimes these things seem so obvious that they maybe don't even need to be said. Oh, they do. (laughs) Oh, they do. Being a friend of the groom. You see, if you're at a wedding and you're a friend of the groom, how much attention really is afforded you? And how much attention do you really want on yourself? Not much. And it's the same when you're supporting either the bride or the bridegroom. Now, it calls, John calls himself, it says, a friend of the bridegroom. And there are others in the Bible who are called friends of God. It says in James 2, 23. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. The friend of God. Now, again, we say this is mainly dealing with preachers, but not just preachers. Let's think about this more widely now. Those who support the work of the bridegroom. We're either friends of this bridegroom, that's Christ. Well, what's the opposite of a friend? An enemy. Those are the two possibilities in this scenario. The friend points toward Christ. The enemy points toward himself and away from Christ. We may not all be called to be preachers like John the Baptist, but we're all in our own way, in our own callings, in our own situations, with our own gifts and talents. And the Lord has given you gifts and talents if you're part of the body of Christ to point toward this bridegroom. That is Christ. Are you a friend of God? Have you submitted to his will? Have you seen that you're at war with God? And have you accepted his terms of peace? Have you? Have you accepted Jesus' terms of peace? And what are they? Christ promises you peace through him. His perfect sacrifice for sin taking away the wrath that we all deserve if we trust him and him alone. Accepting that his perfect life for righteousness is what clothes us and nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. There's, there's no confidence in yourself. There's no hope in yourself and that seems so easy but sinful man says, no, 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 I've got to contribute something. Okay, 99% of it. Yeah, Christ can do most of that. But I've got to do a little bit of something. That's where man struggles. There's not many men who would say to you, yes, I, I'd love to go to hell. 
But what we struggle with is we haven't any righteousness of our own. And it's only in Christ. It's only in Christ. And until you have repented of your trust in yourself, until you have found peace with God in and through Jesus Christ, until that point you are an enemy of God and not a friend of the bridegroom. And an enemy of the bridegroom, it might not be the most obvious person. It can be somebody, a sweet, friendly person who attends church faithfully. They might even read their Bibles. But unless they trust in Jesus Christ, unless they've repented of their sins, they remain an enemy of God. It's an amazing thing. Outwardly, you may look like a friend of God, but not be. You may still in your heart be hostile to the gospel and to Christ And one of the signs that you are a friend of God is you want the focus on the bridegroom, not on you. It's all about Christ. Your life is all about Christ. We are not the main focus. However, dear friends, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are part of this. You're part of the bride. You're part of his beloved bride. What did John say about his role? Verse 30. He must increase. I. But I must decrease. It's all about pointing to Christ. Number three now. Purity. Purity. So we looked at possession. Partner. Number three now. Purity. It says in verse 29. But the friend of the bridegroom. Which standeth and heareth him. Rejoiceth greatly. Who will want to stand in attention and listen to this bridegroom? When the bridegroom speaks, who will wish to stand and listen to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Those who wish to serve this bridegroom. It says in Matthew 5 verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, which is a, a picture in the Bible used to, to show those who have been born again of the Spirit of God. If eyes to see and ears to hear, you will love to hear from Him. That is the friend of God. The friend of God stands willing to listen and to hear. In the Bible, the word hearing is not just into your ears. It also means to obey and follow. And this posture of standing is actually uh, of servants. To stand. And to pay attention. They're ready to receive the master's commandments. Gladly hearing these things. They hear the voice of the bridegroom. Which standeth and heareth him. Rejoicing. Rejoices greatly. Now what about the natural man? What about the natural man born in sin? What about the, the most people in the street who have never come to church? What about the person who comes to church but has never trusted in Jesus Christ? Maybe very religious. Does this person love the sound of the bridegroom's voice? Do they stand ready to hear what the master says. No. Sadly they do not. 
At this point, this, the voice of the Lord is something they resist. They are stiff-necked and rebellious toward the voice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And they will remain so until God does a work in their heart. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And in Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, What then are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles, for they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. So let's ask ourselves the question as we read this text. How many seek after God? None. Zero. None according to Romans chapter 3. And it quotes from Psalm 14. There is not one single natural fallen person seeks after God naturally. Now, we do know that there are people who seek after God. Praise God, we have a number here (laughs) this evening. But how does this happen? How does any seek after God and rejoice at the voice of the shepherd. Why are you here this evening rejoicing to hear the voice of the shepherd? When you hear the promises of God and they're a glad comfort to you, why is that the case? Well, I made a decision one time. I prayed a prayer. Friends, no. Why do you rejoice to hear the voice of the shepherd? Because you've been born Again, God has done a work in your heart. And you will never stand and hear him and rejoice when you hear his voice unless you've been changed to love him. Not just born physically, but born spiritually. You see, when you, when you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you see that sin is horrible. And you see that Christ is absolutely lovely. And so you will naturally, because you've been born again, turn to that which is wonderful. I heard an illustration one time years ago that has always stuck with me. Once you have eyes to see, no one has to force you to love the sunset. It is beautiful. It is glorious. And when you see the sun of righteousness for the first time, you wonder why you didn't love him before. You didn't see him before. You brought accusations toward him. You hated him in your heart. And then when God does a wonderful work on you, your eyes are open and this is the one I've been fighting against? He is wonderful. He is glorious. He's worthy of all. And then, and then when we are saved, we, we can't wait to hear his voice. We can't wait to hear his voice. I think we can forget some of these things when we evangelize the lost. I've been really encouraged to hear of your efforts to reach the lost for Christ. And it's difficult work. You need the Holy Spirit to encourage you to keep going, to keep sharing the gospel with people. Because you're talking to people 
unless they've been born again, are hostile to the gospel. You love them so much. You tell them the gospel, nonetheless. But until they're born again, their hearts, no matter how pleasant and friendly they are, they are at odds with this and they have not come to the point where they standeth and heareth him and rejoicing greatly. We want them to come to that point so that they're part of the bride and that they can be part of this wonderful celebration, this wonderful consummation at the end of the world when that wonderful relationship is brought to its fullness in heaven. But we need God's strength to do all these things. We need eyes to see and ears to hear. And we need, as well as, the, as it says in, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Our final point now, number four, praise. So we've looked at possession. Number two, partner. Number three, purity. Because it's only the, those who are pure in heart are going to love to hear the sound of the shepherd's voice and But we must not stop there. We must praise him. Our fourth point, praise. This must all bring us to praise. Whenever you're learning something from the scriptures, ask yourself, how does this enhance my worship of him? How does this make me want to thank him? What does it tell me about God? How does it impact my prayer life how does it bring me closer to him it just can't be information that will win us the next quiz that we have as christians together it can't just be about information in our minds it must all be about worship that's what we're going to do in eternity for all eternity verse 29 john 3 verse 29 it says but the Friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. And praise is a joyful thing. Out of that wellsprings of joy, what do we do? We see greatness. We see his glory. When we see something wonderful, it makes us happy, doesn't it? I remember... um, Myself and the family we were at the zoo, and we—I can't remember. It was years since I've seen lions up close, but they are such majestic, almost royal figures. Even when they're not making a great noise, the way they just stand—they just—they're just impressive. You could just watch them, and that brings you a great joy, doesn't it? To see something that you see is impressive. And who is more impressive than God? He brings joy to us. We love his voice. We love his glory. We love his greatness. And what do you want to do when you see all these things? Oh, that was interesting. Does it impact anything? Praise. Are we casual about these things? Are we neutral towards these things? Or did it joy... Draw us to praise him. As John says, we, he must increase, but I must decrease. Knowledge of God should make us filled with joy. We learn about him. We learn about what he has done for us. But dear friends, I will even say this much. Even if it was just what we learn of him, even if he did nothing for us, to learn of him alone is enough to make 
anyone with eyes to see, to see he is beautiful. He is glorious. Before there ever was a mountain, before he ever spoke the world into existence, he was and ever shall be wonderful and a source of great joy. See, if John was pointing toward himself, that would be pretty miserable. A preacher who understands that he is but dust, to point towards himself, if I'm doing attraction, you better go away. This is pretty disappointing. But to point towards Christ, it's forever. We're going to be in eternity still amazed at his glory, and we will never come to a point of going, Oh, well, I, I just don't want to worship him anymore. I've been doing this long enough. He's so wonderful. We'll never come to this point. When somebody does something for you, they help you in a certain way. And you say, nothing? What would, that would be, you know, if you saw a child do that and somebody gave them sweets and they said nothing, go, it might be, say thank you. We have so many things to say thank you to our God for. To praise him for. What about the bridegroom? What has he done for us? Well the bride of Christ is described as beautiful in the Bible. And I think we have to remember that. Hard things can happen in churches. Where we forget the beauty of the bride. We must not. The bride of Christ on its on paper, she is not impressive because she has in her own self made many mistakes, many sins. But that's not what we're supposed to see. She's been washed. She's been clothed with royal robes. She is wonderfully cared for by her husband. And she's loved and cherished by him. We don't deserve any of this. It's completely undeserved love. The bridegroom takes pity on this. If you look at her, she's an immoral woman. The bride is an immoral woman. And she has nothing attractive in and of herself. But yet. This Savior, this man, comes along and takes pity on her, washes her clean from all the filth of all her sin, brings her into his house, embraces her, washes her, loves her, makes her radiant and beautiful. Without this husband, she is destitute and has nothing to boast about. But with this husband, she has everything she ever needs. She is loved. She is cared for. She is nourished. She is blessed. She is, in, she is built up. She is protected. She is provided for. Does the bride have a reason to praise her groom? If she doesn't, she's forgotten much. If she forgets her blessings and what she has, what will she, she could do? Well, I think I deserve better than this. We could start thinking that, couldn't we? And we do that at times. We start complaining. We, we start maybe getting a bit grumpy about our situation in life. Consider what we deserve. And also, friends, please consider where we're going in Christ. 
It won't always be like this. Have we forgotten how wonderful the bridegroom is? Have we forgotten our reasons for praising God? This, my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Because the attention for John was on the bridegroom. He didn't have reasons to complain. Because we could, John could just say, Oh God, why is my life so difficult? I've been in the wilderness all these years. No. He points toward the bridegroom. And he sees glory. And if we are suffering, and we will suffer in this world as Christians, it's not a maybe, it's a certainty. Consider how much Christ suffered for you. Far more than we will ever suffer. Far more. Far more than Job ever suffered. Far more than Jonah ever suffered. Far more than Elijah ever suffered. He suffered the just for the unjust. He bore the wrath of Almighty God. So that our joy may be fulfilled. And dear friends, keep this work going. Keep evangelism. Keep sharing the wonderful, glorious gospel so that you would have joy to learn of others. Joining the bride, pointed towards the bridegroom, and that you too could say, this my joy, therefore is fulfilled. And now to this, you have wonderful reasons for praise and honor of God. Marriages and weddings are wonderful. They are special. They are to be cherished. And I pray that if you're married, that your marriage is like a fine wine. It gets better. It gets better. It's special. But this is the most special marriage and wedding that there is. Between this bride, that is Christ. Or between the church and the bridegroom, that is Christ. This relationship is the most important. Whatever else is going on in your life, church, bride of Christ, we belong to him. We belong to him. What he says is what we are to follow and submit to. Let us follow our husband as one bride, not several brides going in different several directions. One, one bride going forward. And let us, as we do this evening, let us praise him. And let us rejoice in him as we go. May we glorify him in all that we do. Amen.